0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Ultra Rare, the podcast. I'm your host, Jocelyn Pearl, and today's episode dives into a topic that I'm extremely excited about right now. It's decentralized biotech. What is decentralized biotech? Well, in my mind, it's groups of people, companies, organizations that have figured out ways to decentralize their biotech research and their identification of cures. And today we chat with Jan and Jessica who have done just that with their company Phage Directory. We talk all about their journey to founding Phage and what they're trying to accomplish these days. I'll give a little bit of a hint. They're moving to Australia to take their show on the road and do even more with this awesome platform that they've built. So I'm super excited to share their experience with all of you and hopefully teach you a little bit about decentralized biotech. Thanks so much for listening to Ultra Rare, the podcast. I am chatting with the co-founders of Phage Directory, Jan and Jessica, and I'm really excited to feature Phage Directory because they fit into this space of what I think of as decentralized biotech they've essentially built a network of scientists around the world who contribute to cures for drug-resistant infections. It's really incredible work, and I'm excited to highlight how this idea came about, how they built this network, and hopefully inspire more of this model in this space. So thank you, Jessica and Jan, for joining us today. Thank you. We're so excited to be here.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: And I know you're both also making a big move soon. You're moving to Australia, which I want to talk about a little bit later, but also just wanted to thank you for for taking the time out of your busy schedules. So to start off, I'd love for either of you to give us a bit of background on how this idea came about.
2: Yep. Um, Yeah. So the idea for Phage Directory came uh, just over four years ago. So I was a grad student working on phages in the lab, just nothing to do with helping any real patients, just molecular biology. I thought that was kind of my place in the world and (laughs) that's all I could do. And um, But uh, I showed Jan one day, who was just my friend from swing dancing, was not involved in phage stuff. Um, I showed him my Twitter because I saw somebody was using Twitter to, Try to find phages, so these viruses that kill bacteria. Try to find phages that would cure an infection of this patient whose name was Mallory Smith, and she's about my age at the time, so mid-20s, and she was in Pittsburgh and she was dying of this antibiotic resistant infection. So um, somebody, so Stephanie Strathy, so she has previously, like I was following her on Twitter at the time because she saved her husband with phage therapy like the year prior. But I didn't know much about it at the time. I don't even remember why I followed her. So it just was such a fluke. And I showed Jan, like, "Hey, look, people are trying to find phages for this girl," and he's like, "What? Like, you have phages in your lab? Like, so this is your system? Like, this is your field's solution? Like, just tweeting into the void for a Mm -hmm. medicine?" And um, I was like, "Well, we didn't have, we don't have a system. Like, what? Like, I didn't even think we were using our phages for anything in this continent." So. That was kind of the genesis. And um, Jan was based on his background and knowing about just startups in general and being able to build websites, like those basic things, which I would never have been able to do. I didn't know that you could just start solving a problem, but he um, was like, well, let's just make a website, make a listing system that if you're a phage lab and you have phages that you could contribute if a doctor needs them for a patient, list yourself on this directory and we'll know where you are. people can go there instead of tweeting in the void. And then also a newsletter system that was just gonna send an email if we had an alert, like a phage, we call it a phage alert system. So that got set up in two days. And yeah, um, that's kind of where it started. And we, we, Mallory passed away two days after that. So she didn't get phages in time. And that was like what really solidified it for us, yeah it's like, okay, this is a problem. And people started reaching out to us being like, I have a patient, like I'll, I'll help researchers. Like they said they would help. So yeah, (laughs) it was kind of wild that it went that way.
0: Wow. That's incredible. And Jan, can you share a bit of like the world you were coming from? Cause you had a very different skill set than Jessica's experience, you know, having been working in a lab and working on phages.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My background was, um, I have kind of a wild um, random background. Uh, I come from, I do a lot of web development and software engineering right now, but I actually come from the field of uh, user experience design and user experience research. So in the years prior to meeting Jessica, I worked on a lot of big projects for companies like uh, Coca-Cola, Verizon, Disney, you know big big companies with big budgets working on these big campaigns and apps and so on so I essentially worked on a lot of um, a lot of on a lot of big projects that like don't really have a big like you as a person don't really have that much of an impact because you work on big teams with big budgets and so for a long time I just, I just kind of got burnt out from working on these huge projects that like like did it really matter if like Coca-Cola launched like a new product. Like, not really. Like, I didn't really care that much about how much money they made, right? So I got really burnt out from the industry. And then I started dabbling in the world of startups and and just the idea of like, <clears throat> how can we use technology to kind of you know improve lives, right? Like it's a it's a trope in the Silicon Valley, like startup like era that, like, you know, like make the world better, a better place. But I actually think that using tech in the right way could improve a lot of lives uh, it's like by, by, by adapting it and using it in a way that like can help individual people like Mallory, right? So when I first met Jess and when, when she talked about phages to me, that was like, oh, here's this area where we can actually use technology. That's, you know, people are already relying on Twitter Let's add another layer that can improve the way of finding a a phage or a personalized treatment, or at least just make the connection between a doctor and a lab. Um, So when we first stepped in, I was like, oh, wow, this is kind of a crazy thing that people are doing this. Let's just incrementally make this a little bit easier on the doctors who are looking for phages and on the labs who are willing to help. And that was it. I was working on another startup with a bunch of other people, like, I never thought that Phage actually would become like this big journey, like career and life-changing journey. <laughs> uh, and I just thought it would be like a four-day project, hopefully we'll find Phages or Mallory, she'll get better, and we'll move on, you know, doing our, our thing that we're doing. And, and four years later, that's, that's, <laughs> that's like, Everything we're we're living and breathing today,
0: I think what is so eloquent in a way about this story is that you both came from different worlds, different experiences. you recognized a problem, and the solution was so simple. It was essentially a listserv and you know an email alert, yeah and I just, I'm like, I have so much admiration for this project. I just want to say at the start, but um, can you take us forward from that to what some, you know, one example or some of the first successes were with phage directory?
2: Yeah. So, um, well, I think the first, so in total, you know, we've helped with about 36, different patient directed cases. And those are the ones that have actually gone from, well, that have had a doctor involved. That's kind of our main criteria to send out a phage alert. And we've sent out the alert and we've tried. Um, there's been many more patients that have wanted it, but we, uh, we haven't gone through with all of them yet. And so three of those cases have actually led to a successful treatment. And I think the first one would have been the sea turtle, <laughs> which is hilarious that I consider that one of our patients, but it worked the same way. And that's the beauty of this simple system is like, okay, well, what, whoever it's for, if it's a turtle or a human, sure. So when we heard from a veterinarian, we were like, yep, we'll send it to the network. And um, so I was in, I think it was like New Year's Eve, almost it was either 2018 or becoming 2018. And we we're like, okay, nobody's gonna respond to this alert because it's New Year's Eve. But we had like the most responses ever and everyone wanted to help this turtle and it had a citrobacter infection. So that's not a pathogen of humans. So it actually makes sense for undergrads to research it in the lab because it's safe. It's a pathogen of animals. And, um, and so a bunch of these undergrad labs actually were able to submit phages that ended up in the sea turtle because yeah, they were, happened to be working with that pathogen. So it was very cool how that, how that went. And and then our biggest human success is this seven year old girl who um, was in Australia and she was in a car accident in 2019 and she was going to have her leg amputated because there was a bone infection that wouldn't heal with antibiotics. And so that was a call from people we kind of had met by then in Australia And spoiler alert, we're moving to work with them very soon on Sunday. (laughs) But um, at the time, we didn't know them very well. But they were like, could you guys do a phage alert? You know, we're all the way in Australia. And um, we sent it out. And it was for Pseudomonas, which is one of our, like, the most popular, um, one of the most popular pathogens that people study phages for. So lots of people always respond to our Pseudomonas requests. But this was, like, I think the first time we'd sent one. So we were not expecting, like... 12 different countries worth of people being like, yeah, I'll help send me the strain. And, and the Australians were like, what? <laughs> How? We didn't think we'd get anyone. So um, so we're, we're, I'm like spamming their inbox with all these emails being like, here's another one. Are you sure you want me to keep sending more? Because I always feel bad once there's a lot. And uh, yeah, they were like, no, send them. This is amazing. And And then they actually were able to get all the paperwork um, in place and work with the TGA, like Australia's FDA. And, and in six weeks that girl got phages, and um, yeah, she like, she's fine now. So those are such cool stories. And yeah, it's like still surreal that it can work.
0: (laughs) It's so inspiring. So can you give us a little bit more detail for what the alert to cure process looks like? I mean, especially for scientists who might want to participate in something like this, like what are they doing on their end? What's being sent, you know? And then what are the doctors doing on, on their end?
2: Yeah, so um, generally we, we get a request somehow, which comes obviously various different ways. People find out about it. Um, but whatever the way, our main first criteria, pretty much our only criteria, it has to be a bacterial infection. So it can't be something that's not bacterial because phages are you know, bacteria specific viruses and that's what we deal with. So if it's a bacterial infection and it's like a known species, um, and that's a big thing with phage is that it has to be personalized to the exact strain, not even just the species, but even more specific than that, we need to know which strain of bacteria you have and it needs to be culturable. So we need to have um, access to that isolate from the hospital lab. So if that's true, and there's our second criterion is um, that we have the treating physician is ready to go ahead with this. And that's probably the hardest, you know, part of it, because lots of uh, patients are coming to us being like, my doctor says no, but can you help? And it's like, well, in the beginning, we kind of entertain these different requests too. But it just became clear that like, it's not fair to all our researchers that are going to do all this work, if we're not going to get to a treatment, or if we don't even have a chance to and finding the doctor that's willing is definitely harder than finding researchers who are willing to help. So um and you know the doctor is the one who's making the call on whether it's going to go ahead anyway so we we don't make medical decisions we don't we're not doctors and we don't have any doctors on our staff or anything and we never have and um so we've been very clear about that it's like okay this is directed by your doctor we are helping you source for your doctor so if those things are true then um we send out a phage alert and they they always look pretty much the same we, we kind of used st- to send out more information, but now we just send the species. So like Pseudomonas aeruginosa and the country. So that sometimes helps people know if they wanna get involved, but uh, it doesn't really matter. Most people don't like seem to care what, what country these things are happening in. They're like, send me the strain. As long as the strain could be sent, cool. And in the alert, it says um, a couple of bullet points of how researchers can help. And so it'll say like, we're looking for Pseudomonas aeruginosa phages for a patient in Germany. Uh, here are ways that you can help. You can receive the strain and you can test your phages against it. You can send your, stri- uh, your phages to a lab who's going to test them for you. Or you can also just like tell us if you know someone who might have phages. You know, there's like smaller ways to help too, or like recommend somebody else. Or um, the big one is um, if you can prep phages to clinical grade uh, and you wanna do that, that's great too. So kind of give them all these options and we just send it out and it goes by email and then we get emails back usually within hours if it's something like Pseudomonas or never if it's something like Mycobacterium, uh, sometimes we get answers to that, but it depends on the strain. So yeah, we get um, our responses back. I get them in the inbox and it's like, I have kind of a standard reply set up pretty much so that, um, I'll just say like, yeah, thanks here. I connect you with the requester and, you know, I'm here to help, but here's like the next step is the strain needs to be sent. So that's, that's the bulk of it really is getting that step done. And uh, it kind of goes from there in a bunch of different ways.
0: yeah So across this network of scientists, people are actually taking the strain that this patient is suffering from culturing it in a lab treating it with different phage strains yeah. to figure out one that hopefully kills the bacteria which you're you're seeing i presume like in a dish or you have some kind of readout yeah. right and then once they identify that phage that's working they have to prepare it to a clinical grade level. How common is that? Like, is that a big bottleneck in this space? Yes, that is the biggest bottleneck in this space. Like for phage biotech companies,
2: for phage therapy centers, um, for anyone. And that's really rare that you have that capacity. There's almost no companies that, like there's almost no contract research organizations or CMOs or like that do that. Uh, there's a couple. And there's also just, it's just so expensive. So um, for the biotech companies that are working in the phage space, generally they have their own GMP, like good manufacturing practices, um, facilities in-house. Um, we kind of watched this field grow over the last few years and it's definitely been growing. And you kind of see like they start out and they're like, okay, we're going to use uh, one of these CMOs. And then they're like, okay, no, we're now building our own in-house and you could tell that it's just like hard because manufacturing phages when you don't know about phages and uh and just like there's a lot of factors why it's it's challenging and there's been some failures in the phage space when people have tried to manufacture phages and, and combine them into a cocktail and then hope that they still work and then how do you make it so you manufacture something that has like 12 different host strains that need to go into the bioreactor but all separately and then you have to combine the phages it's like it's hard and it's just it is a bottleneck so luckily there's some places that do do it and there's also regulators like the FDA that will allow for compassionate use which is what we're doing um which is when it's there's no other option for the patient they don't make you get the phages to the same level as um you would need if you were doing a clinical trial. So that means academic labs can actually do it. So that's a big deal. It's not true in Europe and other places, so yeah.
0: Great, I wanna, I wanna unpack some of that a little bit later, but for now I wanna get back to the core of phage directory, which is really um, the website and the community. So Jan, I was hope- hoping you could share a little bit more about the process of putting together the website, maybe some of the insights that you had or you know, model spaces that you utilize to put together um, this directory?
1: Yeah. Uh, so I guess just to start, we, um, the first version of the site was purely in response to helping Mallory. So everything from the brand it like it just came about pretty quickly and pretty naturally because we didn't focus on branding or this thing being bigger than like a two week long project. So, the, so during the day when Jessica showed me the tweet where they were looking for phages, I was saying, hey, there needs to be a directory for phages, right? And then, and after lunch, we kind of split off doing our thing. And that night I just bought the phage.directory domain I was like, hey, I'm going to build a site. And, and Jessica was like, what? Like, like, what are you doing? What are we doing? So everything just came about very quickly and very naturally. And then by the next morning, I had pretty much had a site running with a list of names, a list of labs who signed up, and had the newsletter working and everything. So, so it all came about very haphazardly, kind of, kind of, you know, like very reactionary in a way. But that's kind of the ethos we've been uh, using this entire time, right? So after we got our start and then we realized that, oh, um, all these different labs and groups that we're talking to don't really know about each other. They don't know what each other is doing. They've kind of meet each other once a year at a conference. So that's it. And they don't talk at all. And so I come from many other industries where they're Tons of newsletters, tons of resources to kind of keep in touch. And um, the phage role just didn't have that. So I'm like, we need, we need a newsletter or some kind of some kind of pulse of the entire field where it's not us really writing. Like we wanted other labs to write about their research in order to like show off what they're doing and inspire other people and potentially hire other cool students and postdocs who work for them, right? So that's why we started the, um, the Caps and Entail uh, newsletter pretty early because that, that is how we thought we would like kind of glue the entire community together. So, so much of the website was about showing other people how many people are in the field and, and what are other people doing? And so much of the site was built around that concept. And, and we, we tried different things over like the first year or so. Like we realized quickly that researchers don't like hanging out in forums. They don't, we, we created a Slack. Uh, most researchers don't like hanging out on a Slack. We have, most of our Slack is like younger professors, younger students. Uh, so we're like, okay, we're gonna, we, we need some other forms of communication. So we decided to, um, you know, go the conference route, helping other conferences with building a site, building technology. And then once the pandemic hit, we were like, we've been using Zoom for a while. It seems like no one else has used Zoom at all. So initially we were like, okay, we can start doing webinars and helping other groups, you know, stay in touch now that we can't travel anymore. And so, so, so we just created many websites for like faves are like faves video series and then for other projects it's just like pockets of, of sites supporting different ideas. Uh, and one thing we've done poorly is like we haven't really like like combine them all together into a big umbrella, because it's always been pursuing this topic or this topic or this topic or this product and like as a way to serve that one need. And so. So in a way, we're very reactionary still, and um, and so, so in a way, we also lack kind of like a holistic um, strategy of pulling it all together.
0: It sounds like you were doing quite a bit of community development through different what I would maybe coin as marketing strategies. You had this newsletter. You were pursuing the webinars, maybe promotion via these conferences. Can you talk about the kind of efforts that you both put in for the community onboarding and what that growth looked like? And if there was a point where you kind of hit your stride and figured out the right system for bringing people into this directory? Yeah, I
2: feel like it's... um... It is a lot of, has been a lot of like little experiments and just like pieces here and there. And then now to look at it, like when I was thinking about this talk, I was like, huh, yeah, there there is like some things that have jumped out that have really worked. And, and there's definitely like experiments that we tried that didn't work and I just forget about them, you know? So it's like, um, but kind of what the onboarding looks like. Well, we have a while ago created... A form where people would, you know, fill out kind of a profile and list them on the site. And we still have that same one up. And people do just like every week, there's still like a, a trickle of new people. Um, we definitely, I mean, I don't think that we spend a lot of time, though, we just kind of let that be passive. Um, we do our webinars, we're always kind of, whoever's the group that needs our help, kind of like, for example, a little consortium of phage people in Nigeria for example they have like a bunch of hustlers over there and they're all phage people and they're like hey we want a website we want to run our own symposium we're like okay so we kind of jump on these things and I feel like we organically onboard people through that because every time we have slightly new group or geographical group they bring in their other people you know and so we haven't had to intentionally try to get more people or anything and um and with the newsletter, yeah, just people find out about it. We tweet about it. We have certain things we're always doing, you know, like we, we always do a Friday newsletter. That's been true for three years or so. And um, and everything in the newsletter gets tweeted and little bite-sized pieces. And so I think with just that, plus like a sign-up system on the site, it's Jan's been able to automate a lot of it too. So
1: um,
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's it's funny because we we use a lot of the marketing strategies like newsletters and webinars and and like <clears throat> and signups, but we um like the growth is growth has never been a metric we focused on. We've never tried to boost growth by have by doing like drip emails or like marketing campaigns purely for growing because we um for better or worse never had a way, we never developed a way to make money off of our users because that was never the, that was never the goal. Like the goal of like CAPSID and like the newsletter and the goal of like the webinars and a lot of our other projects was purely to create content to help, to help the phage, to help the phage community create content for itself. And, and, and that was the thing that we like always said, we do not want to monetize this. And we do, I don't want to like gate this off to paying subscribers. And we've actually had many people tell us, hey, you guys should like gate this off, have people pay a membership for it. And we were always like, no, like that's not, that's not the goal of it. And um, and so, so I guess in a way, um, that's kind of really affected how we like grew phage directory and how we like looked at how like how we position ourselves in the community because uh, we've always wanted to align with like, especially younger labs, like, like labs, like across Africa, labs across India and so on, who like usually don't have that much money, but they have a lot of really good researchers who are, who are kind of lacking a voice. So we've been wanting to build these tools for them to have a bigger voice um, or have a louder voice rather. And and so that that's really guided us, I think from a, I just want to backtrack to like the first couple of years though. We um we were we luckily we received a couple of small grants to to travel and meet with labs. I think that really set us, that really cemented us in a way that like we built trust in the community. And so we um we got a grant from the uh, the National Science Foundation's iCorp program for like scientist startup kind of groups and so they essentially paid for us to travel around Europe to meet with some of the really big labs and I think we met with like Dr. Dr. Martha Clokey, uh, Dr. Rob Levine and a few other groups and essentially we were pitching them what we were doing and what we wanted to do for the community and they all loved it. I think the other thing that really helped was that <laughs> Jessica made a guest lecture, like presented a guest lecture to uh, Dr. Rob Levine's class, and then he bursted out, "Oh, Jessica knows everyone, and everyone knows Jessica in the phage field." And I think that that for some reason really helped too. Like Jessica was a familiar face, and she had been going to other phage conferences for a pretty long time, so so people. People kind of knew what she what she was doing, and and that she was like a trusted member of the field. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I guess I don't know this. Are you both full time working on Phage Directory? Yep, we have and, been. Yep. And does it does it operate as a nonprofit essentially? If you're not monetizing the network, <laughs> so. We are not monetizing
2: the network, although we do have sponsorships, but you know, we keep that on the side. Um, but we're still monetizing phage directory in the long term. And I think Jan should take this, uh, but like the, the really cool, exciting part about us moving to Australia is kind of like a big new milestone that we've been trying to get to for a long time. And our whole theme of this has been like software tools to help this field and so we're trying to get in the heads of all these phage people that we could be your software partner your database partner like and you know a lot of them don't care because they're like well i don't need that i have my excel <laughs> and i have my paper notebook but like you know we build their registration systems for conferences we like make their websites for their symposia and they're like gradually like okay you guys know about that stuff computers and now that we're going to australia it's actually the point where we can take some of our ideas we've been working on in the, underneath the radar, I think. Um, but Jan's been doing all this, like designing how, you know, phage sharing marketplace should work or how a phage data collection system should work. How should people manage their hundreds of phages against all these strains? And, you know, they were, we tried to shop this around and people were like, yeah, no, I'm good. I have my list but like they're starting to ramp that up now and, and organizations are becoming phage therapy centers and they're getting big money now in the grant space or um, from governments. And so that's the, like the Australian example is them being like, come be our data partner. And now we can actually build our, our real product <laughs> in collaboration with them. And so it's like the community gets to live on as this like, that is not, you know, our business but it's still a thing that we're going to do, but it's, we don't have to gate it. Um, and so I think that's just so exciting.
1: Yeah, that was that was the thing that we like hypothesized maybe could work down the line if and when phages got bigger as a field, I think. Uh, and so that the idea of like, how do we make money? It's through grants, through governments. And because we probably realized that, oh, like, Governments give organizations like the FDA and CDC billions of dollars to do monitoring, and potentially if phages do take off, phages themselves will also need some kind of monitoring system. right? Like You need to constantly find new phages, you need to make sure your phages that you have in the you know, national bank or registry are still effective. And of course, you know from a military standpoint, a lot of them want to have potentially a way to, uh, to use something that's not an antibiotic to control like an outbreak. Um, so for example, like, like one of the companies in the field, uh, Adaptive Phage Therapeutics was early on funded by the Navy, right? So there's, there's a military angle there. So we know that a lot of people need to manage phages. And of course, in the end, when you have thousands and thousands of phages, it essentially becomes a data problem. And data problems always become a software problem. So we thought that potentially we could, you know, do really good work consistently and then eventually become like the almost like a software as a service or database as a service provider for a lot of these big groups.
0: I see. So really interesting model. So can you just clarify again so I understand a little bit better what the what the business model is like? Currently. yes
1: yeah so currently uh, currently when we're going into Australia the idea is that we're doing everything we can to make the the phage Australia project successful and that means putting in a lot of software in place to uh, coordinate a patient or a clinical data collection we're coordinating biobank uh, collection and the entire process of getting faders from around the world. Uh, screening them using software like initially before someone you know takes them into the lab right and to from that point to getting them to a patient there's a lot of checks and balances there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen from both a wet lab and a bioinformatics standpoint and and so there's so many bottlenecks in that entire pipeline and i think we can speed it all up using different kinds of software so that's what we're doing for fade australia and then the idea then is to take what we built and like learn from what's successful and replicate that success for uh, some of the other countries we have seen, are like all, like they've been all looking at the success of like Australia as a model, right? So the idea is that if we're able to uh, build a system that makes them successful, we can now share that system with you know, other groups like Canada or the UK and then make their program successful as well.
0: And just so I understand better, why does it make sense to start this in Australia? Is there something unique about that country? Yeah, our whole philosophy
2: has, with all of our collaborators and where to go and where to put our efforts has been like, who's the most excited and who's the fastest and most ready to work together and that's them. So um, like uh, we put in grants with, several different groups like, and you know, sometimes the grants didn't get funded and, um, but this one did. And so it's really just like, okay, they're the first ones that are like ready to go. And um, there's a lot of people there that, they have a really unique, um, the thing that's really unique about them is that they've gotten all of their infectious disease physicians um, to agree on the protocol for how we're going to do phage therapy and that's just unheard of in any other country and like because you know they have advantages being small and like centralized healthcare, and and um but they also just like this is the group doing it happens to be very you know trusted in those communities and has done this and so they've got kind of the endorsement from all these infectious disease doctors and they're ready to do phage therapy in the standardized way across the country, which is just gonna really lend itself to like this kind of model that that is kind of, I think of it more like like an infrastructure kind of strategy rather than a pharmaceutical. So instead of just like, well, we're gonna develop some phages that work and we're gonna put them in a pill and we're gonna take them through regular clinical trials. um, They're instead going to kind of build the system And uh, start with a a bank of phages and get really good at picking the right one and using it and having manufacturing done, but it's always going to be personalized to the patient. And the fact they have all the doctors on board is, and their regulator on board and the money, like it's just, uh, everything's coming together. So, yeah.
0: And so the two of you are currently packing up your life. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you live right now? Um Atlanta, Georgia. And so in Atlanta, and you're gonna be leaving for Australia in a couple days.
1: Days, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> and taking this huge leap. I mean, what like what's going through your minds? <laughs> yeah. I'm like,
2: huh. I mean, it's so exciting, and we've never been to Australia, neither of us have. Um, but also like we've been working with this group for two years trying to make this happen. So it's like, finally, you know, like we put in the grant for so long ago before the pandemic, it got frozen for a long time because of the pandemic. And then we've continued to do, we, we started the project remotely. And so it's like, uh, it's just exciting to finally get to do a bunch of stuff that we've been like drawing up and getting ready for. And the patients, apparently there's 20 patients on their waiting list re- ready. And they just told us this like two days ago. Like, By the way, yeah, they're, they're the patients are ready. So like when you guys get here, <laughs> let's start making sages for them. And and Jan's like gonna be ready to track whatever I do in the lab and 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 uh, make make it like make sure we document it properly so that we can uh, kind yeah. of you know package it and make yeah. it work for others.
1: And what's really cool about this group is that they're very open about anything they do. A lot of the the phage world, maybe maybe the research world in general is like very close in terms of, we don't want to share, we want to publish first and we don't want to share all our data. But the group that we work with in Australia is very open to sharing. So a lot of the stuff we will be doing is like, will be open source or open core. And we want to share a lot of the, the protocols we're doing, a lot of schemas we're, we're using in order to get more labs up to Essentially, up to one standard I don't, I don't want to say that we are the best standard. There's just no standards at all in the field now, and everyone for years have been saying, "Hey, we just we need a standard in the field, but no one's really gone out to say, "This is a standard that we're using, and you're more than welcome to use it as well And here's by the way, here's like we're going to hold your hand in order to adopt this thing. I think that's what's required for one standard and one Once that has become the norm, then we'll probably see more and better standards pop up that potentially could replace ours. But but the lack of standard right now has created all these different ways of doing phage therapy in their own way. And it's very hard to benchmark what works and what doesn't work. And it's very hard to learn, like, oh, like what processes like can be improved and what processes could be like pick from one and combine with another because they're so close, because they're like unstandardized.
0: If I could summarize what I think you're describing, you, phage directory has essentially built a template or protocol for end-to-end discovery to uh, bedside delivery of an N of one treatment. That could potentially be applied to other, other areas, right? Outside of phage therapeutics. I think so. Yeah. And I just like, sorry to cut you off.
2: Yeah. I don't want us to take credit for designing that protocol. We try to take what is working from the community and elevate it and give it like the, put it in the center and bring it in front of other people and that is definitely the strategy um, there is, yeah. you know, and it's the group in Australia that's designed this first version of the program. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, John Ardell and Ruby Lynn, like the two PIs on this project have been like very, very good and like leading the effort. So like most of the credit goes to them. Yeah. And, um, and yes. And, and once we've started, I know that like, we do have a process in place, but I know that we will have lots of learnings and we'll, we're all on board of quickly iterating and proving it and making it better as we go.
2: But I do think the thing that we have done that could work for other fields and that hasn't, you know, that no one has been doing is like the whole, I guess if you want to call it a protocol, but like taking something from academic labs and very rapidly like getting it into the real world and, and just like getting that side of it done and making sure that the barrier to helping is like on the floor. It's so low <laughs> and you, without doing anything illegal. Like that is, I think that could be taken into other fields, but that's what we, like, we got a lot of flack in the beginning from people that were like, you're going to get in trouble because someone's going to die. And so it's, you know, tricky to navigate that, but there is a way. And just, I hope that can be an example for other fields. Cause I'm sure there's tons of life-saving cures in academic mm-hmm. labs, but like are sitting there, there is the compassionate use pathway for it's not just phage specific, like it's everything. And you could be connecting the right patient with, you know, and getting, talking to their doctor and following the same playbook, like put a doctor in touch with another doctor who's done it just one, they only need one. And, and then you can make it work. So I hope that that playbook at least, um, can be an inspiration.
0: And for those who want to understand this process more, is there a way for people to access that information, like on your website or, you know, have you, have you guys done any kind of um, summary talk around what that looks like? That is a good point. I think we haven't given a lot of
2: thought to like it's only with the the web three stuff cropping up now and it's starting to feel suddenly, you know, like, oh, like other people are gonna do this kind of stuff. Like, we're, like this would actually be useful to someone because it was never gonna be really useful to the phage field. Like they don't care about another way to do this. They only care about what they're doing right now. And so I think it would be good for us to like lay this out and write more on it. Um, I, I know we've given talks though that are probably general enough that I could dig up and we could point to that, like at least highlight things. But yeah, it's new that we realize this is like, I don't know, that we look at this from a higher bird's eye view, I guess.
0: I mean, it's an amazing model that you've built. And I hope, you know, this episode also helps convey what that looks like and inspires others to, to potentially adopt it for other types of, of therapies. Um, so it's, it's really exciting to learn about it from the two of you. (laughs) Um, so, and also not to get too personal, but you're also not just co-founders anymore and not just swing dance partners. Is that correct? (laughs) Things have progressed. <laughs> Getting married. <laughs> wow! Congratulations.
2: Now everyone can know. I think we haven't told the phage world.
0: Really? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
2: because we just kind of never told anyone. But you know, we tell our friends. Yeah. Are you gonna maybe. get married in Australia? I think no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My family would cry. <laughs> yeah. what Are you gonna say yeah
1: I'm just mean that like, like so much has happened during the pandemic, but it's like hard to. It's just a hard to kind of, but like 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 during the pandemic, like like we've been doing like phage actually for four years. So like half of it has been the pandemic already. and and so like marriage is a part of that. And so like during the pandemic, all time seems to have been completely scrambled, and like it's kind of distorted how like how we've kind of thought about what's what's real and what's what's not real in terms of like how time moves and how like things happen and especially with web three happening now it's like that field just moves so fast and there's so much stuff going on And every day it's just like it's like you just feel like you're just trying to hang on trying to keep it keep up with everything
0: yeah so I know you both have been getting involved in the web three space that's certainly how I got connected with the two of you do you want to talk about um how you see that fitting with what you've built with phage directory, any active integration that's going on, and you know how you're borrowing from both of these experiences to advance um this mission of of you know distributed networks of scientists and cures.
2: Yes, I I have a bunch of thoughts. I don't know, Jan, do you want to go first or second?
1: Uh, you can go first.
2: Um. So yeah, I think like as I kind of mentioned before, the the ethos is the same, and that's the most first exciting part. Is like, you know, there's all these people who are concerned about not like whether something's officially profitable or not. They're just like, let's solve the problem, and then let's use what we learned from trying to solve that problem to solve another problem, and we're gonna be fine in the end. Like. I love that. And it's how we've been operating. And I just felt so alone in that before. Um, And there's just like, it's so refreshing to be in these, this world. And I think that's the right word for it, because it just feels like a parallel universe laying on top of the real world. And, um, and people are just like, idealistic and energetic again. And they're not like, well, how are you ever going to make money? And like, why don't you just get a job? Like, finally, people aren't saying this or, you know, and so I love that. And um, so I kind of just like step one, I'm like, how can I be part of this? And also now I'm like, you know, feel, I feel like part of it. And I've been hanging out in LabDAO mostly, and um, it's been wonderful. And also making me like, think of so many new ideas. Uh, I didn't talk about this earlier, but we have like, as part of our Slack community. Um, we do have like uh, volunteers that do work for us and that like help out with all our community things, but I've never organized them into like working groups or anything. And now I'm looking at LabDown, when you asked, sent us our questions before this, like, what are the working groups of phase director? I was like, crap, we don't have those, <laughs> it's just us two. And like our 15 volunteers, but I, so I'm learning so much from how they're structuring it and how, how do you get, you know, uh, many different people in different time zones to do stuff. And like, there are things that I feel like I have learned, you know, cause our volunteers span literally like every time zone once I checked and I was like, okay, we're not having a meeting because <laughs> it's impossible. Um, but there, there's been good things like that. I've learned that for example, uh, making roles, just like drawing a circle around, like this is one role. <laughs> you could do this, here's a nugget of help. And just like with our phage alerts, when we break it down into something that's like small enough to help with or like low barrier enough. And then also, I think, giving it out to people like saying, you can come and help, but you don't have to help too much. Like, I think that's so important with anything scientist related. And so um, it's been cool to see the parallels. But like, I feel like I have some stuff to bring to the web three developing communities too from that is like, okay, how do we get people to help and not burn out? Like, I know how my volunteers have felt and you know, you have to let them have four months off and not be mad at them because they have a lot going on but then they have nothing going on. And it's like, that's true for all these, it's gonna be true, I think for all these remote disparate workers. So I'm just so excited about like learning on that side of things and then the tech side, I'm sure like there's a whole, that's a whole other. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and actually, I'm excited about crypto in general, not necessarily from the DAO side, but from the uh, incentive side. So, uh, before we really got into crypto and DAO and token incentives and tokenomics and all that kind of stuff, we were always struggling with the idea of, okay, we know labs from, you know, we already have labs from 80 plus countries in our community, and they've always been, volunteering their time to find phages and isolate phages and characterize phages and do all this other stuff for a patient for free because there just isn't really a model of making money off of phage right now and using them for treatment but going into Australia there there will start we will start seeing reimbursement models pop up I think in terms of um Paying the the people who provide the phages. And so how do you pay, how do you reimburse the potentially dozens to hundreds of people that supply a, a phage that's ready to use in a patient? And how do you track that? Right. Like, and maybe for some labs, they specialize in, you know, TEM or others specialize in bioinformatics, and others, you know, specialize in dredging the phages up from you know sewers and you know dirty hospitals and things like that right like how do you track like proof of work and how do you reimburse them and so for years we were just thinking like oh that's pretty much impossible we can't just use stripe for that we can't just use like paypal or venmo for that that's like pretty much impossible and sometimes the jobs could be small enough that it's like only a couple of bucks so what do you do but it looks like like what tokenomics and like just tokens in general that that is pretty much a solved system like that technology now exists since they started and now it's just a matter of like culturally getting everyone on board and culturally getting scientists to understand uh, you know how how can they get tokens and how tokens could potentially be used to like help them, you know, either like help them Show that like they've helped with these three patients because of these three phages, How do we tr- like track what they've done, and using that we can also show that, oh, this lab is really good at TM because for these five different patients, they provide a really good TM for for the phages that really helped, or, or something like that, right? So you can see that there's a lot of layers on there in terms of like showing what someone's done and being able to pay them for the work that they've done.
0: so is there a possibility, or have the two of you discussed the option of phage directory becoming more like a phage DAO? Because you're talking about tokenization and adding this incentive layer. You know, is that is that part of the vision or is it still in the nascent phase?
1: Uh I think it's nascent. I think it's um we we love all the different aspects of DAOs and we're constantly trying to, you know, learn from how they all work and like get bits and parts of it. Um, so for example, I, I think that there, there's room to like run a project with tokens or projects with like, uh, like working groups and so on. So like, I'd rather think about like, what are we trying to solve and then, steal ideas from like web two and web three in mm-hmm. order to tackle those projects and then the jobs to be done rather than like, hey, we love web three, let's, let's use like all the DAO tools and then try to figure out what we're trying to do.
0: Makes sense. So what is kind of the long-term vision for phage directory? What, what would be you know the ideal outcome over the next couple of years or five to 10 years?
1: Jess, do, do you wanna tackle that? Yeah,
0: I
2: think, um, I think ideally we go to Australia, we figure out, you know, the phage therapy operating system, we document it, we package it up. It works. They get their second round of funding, which means that, you know, they can pay for that tool to keep running and keep getting better and scale up to more patients. Um, that's kind of the big goal of this year is are we going to get phase two or not? So if that's a success, then our system, ideally we would be able to find the next customer and show them that this could be valuable. You can actually learn more from every patient instead of um, you know doing it the way you have been doing where this is just, it feels like the last thing anybody thinks about is the data collection and it's just so important for a personalized therapy. And, and so we get that and And it starts being something that we can package up for any country that wants a basically a safety net underneath their antibiotic system like underneath their hospitals like a another layer of safety when it comes to deadly infections and lots of i think it's it's really exciting especially like countries like malaysia like they or like in africa there's a a bunch of countries that we we have people from that are in our network and they know they're gonna to have to come up with their own systems for infection control. And it's not gonna be pharmaceuticals of the West. And it's just for all the other reasons of like costs and everything, but like they're gonna to need to be able to set up their own system. And so if we could be that, um, where we are kind of like phage therapy system in a box and we can actually, and every you know every time there's a new group on this network, that's the other key is that the network gets stronger and it's not just like a network over here and the software over here. It's like every phage bank on each is going to be linked, kind of like an interlibrary loan system. So, you know, you can order a phage from the Malaysia phage bank if you're in Australia because, and there's just a click, you know, and you'd get it. So like building up that network, I'm so excited about that possibility. That would be a success. And then ideally for us, if we just gradually shrink the amount of time it takes out of our day by automating it <laughs> then we can work on other cool projects at the same time and uh that's my vision at this point <laughs> Jan do you have more
1: yeah yeah like ideally we want this system to work to be in every country like that deals with antibiotic resistance, right? And eventually, as we've read, like, it'll be every country because all our antibiotics are failing sooner or later. So I think having this network in place is really kind of important for the survival of our, like, modern medical system. So that's, that's really why I'm so, um, I'm so passionate about this field rather than, like, going to something more lucrative, because this is one of the things that are, like, propping up the modern society like healthcare and without antibiotics we, we pretty much seen like what happens when hospitals start shutting down and that's like that's not pretty
2: no and and like the other thing is like when you think about I'm just so tired of hearing that unprofitable things can't be done and people use that word like oh it's not profitable it's a bad business um and that's the end of the sentence like it's like obviously we wouldn't do it And it's like, well, and they think the only alternative is like, oh, you'll be a nonprofit and you'll beg for money. And it's like, no, actually, I'm really interested in looking at these systems, for example, in medicine, like blood banks, like we all get blood, there's blood, there's systems for collecting blood and making sure it's safe. And there's every single hospital in the world has its system of who's its blood bank, you know, and they order blood from it and they make sure they have it. And there's a test, there's a matching All of that, there's not a pharmaceutical company behind it. There's not every single piece, like, little jug of blood going through a clinical trial. Like, that would be silly. And yet we don't say, oh, I guess we can't have blood in hospitals. Like, we need to create that kind of system for how we treat more things. And one of those is antibiotic-resistant, not just antibiotic-resistant bugs, bacteria in general. Like, that should just be a layer of infrastructure, like fire extinguishers, like blood, And like surgeries, we just, we have the know-how, everybody has it, pharmaceuticals aren't, like pharma isn't profiting off of surgeries either, but we all get to have them. So I'm just, that's my other big thing is like, after this, like what's the next unprofitable, really important thing that we can just innovate on the business model and really change things. And yeah, I don't know, like such a simple tweak made such a big difference in this case that Now I'm like, oh, what other tweaks are we going to make? Like, I wish we had more time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I want to emphasize this point you just made, Jessica, that the blood that's supplied in hospitals all comes from nonprofits, essentially.
2: That is a good question because I don't know if that's true or not, or if some of them are for profit, but just that's their thing is like, they sell blood. This is something I've If anybody listening, like this is one of the requests that I, I never find information on. I've tried to find out more about how the blood
0: industry works and I can't, but I'm just thinking through right now, it's either red cross Mm
2: -hmm.
0: nonprofit. Um, there's a big, big organization called blood works, which I also believe is a nonprofit and. And I, you know, I'm trying to think of the names of others, but like, if that's true, that's really interesting, you know, case study of something that, you know, all hospitals utilize, yeah. you know, is an essential resource Yeah. Um, that is run and operated by nonprofits.
2: Yeah. I just think, you know, it's, it's clearly doable and mm-hmm. money exchanged. And, you know, the good thing about phages is they're so cheap and there are ways of making, they're very safe and cheap. Like, you know, there's been lots of uses of phages in humans, thousands of people. And they're, you know, mostly they're one by one, not, you know, standardized clinical trials. So that's why it's so hard to know, do they work? Are they safe? But like, there's just almost no safety issues that keep coming up. So it, it amen- it's amenable, I think for something mm-hmm. Be done in this way, maybe in this nonprofit way. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. But in a way, I think the way we're we're not we're not registered as one, but the way we think about this is to operate like a public benefit corporation, and probably eventually we will switch our uh, registration to become a public benefit. And and so in that sense, uh, like I just pull up the Red Cross form 990, like that's a tax form that all uh, U.S. based nonprofits have to file, right? And <laughs> Red Cross's uh, net assets is uh, $1.4 billion. So even though they are a nonprofit, they have plenty of money to slosh around to uh, fulfill their mission and run their programs. And so in a way, like we definitely want to be sustainable. And we definitely want, once our, essentially our phage operating system is running, we definitely want to charge uh, in order to grow our programs in order to you know get it into more countries right so the plan is to become sustainable but very very mission driven and so the mission isn't to like increase shareholder value the mission is to get this network into every country up and running
0: and so what are you currently registered as a nonprofit or
1: uh, we're an llc llc out of delaware yep.
0: and and for folks who are interested in supporting the mission at this current stage, what does that look like? Good question. Um hmm.
2: reach out to us. Let's talk. Yeah. <laughs> That's the yeah. best way. Cause there could be multi I think all these builders and all these exciting people, like there's I mean, I'll let you go with this, Jan, because there's lots of projects that if we had help building them, that would be awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff we're doing. Um, it definitely, if, depends on what, what someone can offer. I think in terms of is it just pure money? Like that's something we we probably don't currently need, but we need connections. We want to grow our network into like um, into the FDA's so, or the Australian versions of TGA, right? Like. Uh, through our connection with, like, um, with Fayette Australia, like, they, they're very good at getting through with TGA and getting the system in place. That is our biggest blocker right now. If we can get into that system for, you know, many different countries, like, 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 not just Western countries, but like countries in South America, like, we have no idea how to get into those countries, or like countries across, you know, like, pretty much every country that, (laughs) Most countries we don't have that connection to and that is the hardest part that we're doing we just don't know how to how, how to do that and we don't know how to get into like these some some sometimes pretty closed off physician networks as well so you'd we love to get introduced to those and build a rapport with those groups i think they can eventually help us get to remission
2: yeah infectious disease doctors is the it seems to be the ones who hold the power and and the ear of the regulators. So that's who we need to, to meet.
0: And how big is the network today?
2: Um, so hard to count because it's all across a bunch of different tools, but like our, our newsletter, we have uh, 1200 people that subscribe to it Our like emergency one, the phage alert. I think there's around 300. Um, there's like, um, like 400 and some listed on the directory and, it's about 500 in the Slack room. I think the community of phage people in total is probably in around the 10,000 mark globally. That's my best guess, but it's so hard to say and uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: And the surprising thing is that like I've, since the pandemic started, I've been to a lot of webinars for a lot of different things and we ran the, uh, the Viruses of Microbes webinars for the for the ISVM um, International Society of for Viruses of Microbes. So it's like an academic society, and we when, when we set up the site for registration, we ran the first first not not just the first few all all of the webinars. We've had like six seven hundred people like registered and all like five hundred people show up like we have to buy like the big room Zoom account and get that maxed out. Like, like it's very surprising like how many people are in this space and we always see new people show up to these different events like every single time. So I think we, <laughs> I think there are a lot of lurkers in this field. Like a lot of people just like hiding out and meeting and just like not really like, like that actively engaging. But But I think one thing that we're seeing though is that like, the phage field is poaching a lot of non-phage people, like non-phage microbiologists microbiolo- into the field. So I think that that is the most exciting part to me. And also undergrads, lots of undergrads
0: And so, so for all of the phage folks out there or phage adjacent, um, what's, what's the ask? Should they sign up for the newsletter, you know, what else can they do to to get involved with this community? Yes, Um, so depending, back
2: to my theme of like, we have bite-sized projects or big ones. (laughs) Um, The the first thing would be to sign up for our newsletter. It's every Friday, it's called Capsid and Tail. So phage.directory slash capsid, and you can subscribe to it. And then that will just be the channel for everything else to come through. But the second thing would be to like list yourself on our website, on our directory, and we have kind of a way for you to put like what phages you work with, so that when people come looking, like does anyone have a phage against Klebsiella? Like you'll pop up. So there's that. There's also if we want more involvement, um, volunteering. So I have about 15 volunteers that dabble in and out, and there's roles like with social media, with guest blog post writing that that goes for anyone. We have a really good guest blogging um, system that we've that just has worked really well. And that uh, I love doing that. And so like anyone who wants to write about their page work, even if it's a one off, like you don't want to do more than that. um, You can write a blog and we will put it out in one of our Fridays. Um, But yeah, the volunteering can go lots of ways because we have lots of projects that, yeah, you could get in on before they're even public. Um, or you could be like the social media person or, you know, be an editor. You could be a leader of other volunteers, have endless projects. So I think those are the best ways. And of course, sign up for the phage alert system, which is its own sign up. Um, that is how you get to be involved in these
0: patient cases. Awesome. And, and any other places we should direct folks, um, who are listening, uh, any other call-outs for either of you. I know you're both on, on Twitter and discord. Um, I'll make sure to link your, your accounts so people can find you there, but anything else you want to plug during the episode? Uh, I have a blog now that's for, you know, me being a non,
2: just not just a phage person. So that's very new, but you could, you could try that, uh, Jessica's tech bio adventures so I've been starting to I thought it was going to be like the intersection between tech and bio but now it's becoming like web3 bio because that's what I'm mostly just you know interested in so come there and read more about my thoughts there if you want Jan has a blog too
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have a blog that I occasionally write in uh, I would like to just plug LabDAO, um, labdow.com. I'm a technical contributor there. And I think, uh, and the reason I'm so interested in LabDAO is because uh, we want Phage uh labs to run their infrastructure on top of LabDAO. Because what LabDAO does is essentially like a, like a AWS and Airbnb combined for the, microbiology space for both bioinformatics and for wet labs for experiments. So ideally, eventually what we want to do is to be able to request different kinds of work from LabDel, essentially like putting a lab in a box where like every experiment and peer review and like everything is done through this requesting system and, and all the outputs are all completely public and it's on chain, it's verifiable, it's reproducible and that will have very very good effects on the phage therapy community because we definitely need a lot of the phages to be verifiable and reproducible uh, around the world so i think there's like there's a lot of good things happening there
2: and it's not just microbiology as jocelyn can (laughs) it's it's an everything platform lab now which is so exciting we're just like Yeah,
0: I've convinced you that
2: microbiology is the best, so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, I just, I want to thank you both um, for inspiring me and hopefully inspiring many other people out there by just finding a way to build a system and build a community and have a real world impact on patients, I think it's so incredible. And for taking the time out of your uh, upcoming move to Australia, I am um, you know, really impressed that you're taking this leap and continuing to build phage directory. So I hope everyone can, can go you know, look up phage.directory, add themselves to the list if you're a researcher, um, find other ways to contribute as a volunteer if you're interested. And thank you again for for taking the time today. Thank you
2: so much. This has been
0: so fun. I wish we could talk all day. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But you guys have to get back to packing. So we're
1: gonna start. Yeah. Oops. Yeah,
0: Yeah, well, well, this is this has been awesome. So really thank you so much. That wraps up my interview with Jan and Jessica. Jan and Jessica, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to Ultra Rare, the podcast. This episode is a collaboration with our friends at VitaDAO. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and make sure to subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. We're gonna be featuring another person in the decentralized biotech space for our next episode. So keep an eye out for that one.